0: Good morning, and welcome to the Christian Indie Writers Podcast, where we inform, encourage, and support Christian Indie authors on their journey toward publication. I'm Jennifer Carl Tong, and I write historical Christian romance.
1: I'm Christina Catane, and I write in multiple genres, including Christ- blah, Christian dystopian <laughs> fiction. I'm Jamie Hirschberger. I
2: write short fiction under the pen name J.R. Nichols.
0: I'm Rhonda Hagerman, and I write fiction and nonfiction. Welcome to everyone that is already here and in our chat. And I know there are some people that are uh, possibly tuning in and not chatting as well. If you are one of those lurkers, like, oh, there's my daughter that forgot that we were going live at 10. (laughs) Hi, child. <laughs> I forgot you were sitting there. Anyway, I saw
2: this one live stream where this cat named Rocco like got up and and his tail was like in the camera, <laughs> and he was like, "He's with my cat." He had a beautiful accent from somewhere. It was so adorable, and Rocco was just you know with the That's tail. That's
0: hilarious anyway, if you are one of those lurkers that show up but never chat, why don't you just give us a little hello? Our ladies and gentlemen that are in our chat just love to love on each other and support each other. So we'd love to have you here. Um, I can see there's a lot of chat going on already. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all of those that are here live. But I also want to thank all of our listeners who listen to us later on um As a podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, and all the other platforms where audio is available. So if you are one of those. Um, people that listen later, we would really appreciate if you would not only subscribe to our channel, but we would also would love it if you could give us a review. Reviews really help, just like with authors. You guys know that it, well, how important it is as an author to get a review. Same thing with podcasters. And our goal here isn't to become famous and be like the biggest mm-hmm. podcast out there. Our goal here is to reach out to other Christian writers who are looking for a group of like-minded people in a community which we didn't have when we started off which so we would appreciate if you would subscribe if you would give us some um thumbs up to things and all that kind of stuff helps to get the word out there for us and we appreciate that
1: absolutely
0: so we'd like to start each episode with a segment that we call what's up it's time to check in with one another and see where we are in our own writing, in our personal lives. So I'm going to start with Tina because she's the only person that spoke up during that moment right there. So, Tina, what's up?
1: <laughs> um, not a lot. Um, the, probably the most exciting thing for me going on is we have this spare room um, in about, oh gosh, it's, I think it was two and a half, three years ago now when my husband left his last pastorate. Um, We thought we were going to have to move because this is a parsonage. And so we had, um, my husband had inherited another pastor's library when he passed away. Oh, And um, so we had boxes and boxes and boxes of books that we packed up. We had about, we decided we were going to pack up all this stuff that we didn't use on a regular basis and put it in this room so that when we had to move, um, we could just go. Um, so now it's been what's almost three years, maybe a little more and we're not going. So we, uh, we're unpacking, we unpacked all the boxes. We had to buy a couple more bookshelves. We still have boxes of books that my husband's going through them because a lot of them are like how to do ministry in the sixties kind of, you know, that's not going to help him much, but, um, I got a new sewing table. It came in, in the mail yesterday. And my poor son and husband had to try to get it in the house. Like it's r- really fancy. It has like this part of the table that you crank down so that the part of your sewing machine that you're actually sewing on is even with the top of the table. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people that sew probably know what I'm talking about, but um, cause usually it's raised. So, um, and it's got this part that, that kind of you can put down or take up and it's got drawers and shelves and So I get to put that together. That's 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 fine. Excitement. So we're turning that room back into an office. Office slash sewing
0: room? That's right. That's very cool. So I inherited my aunt's stuff. And one of the things is she has this little table that looks like just a little table, but you open it up and there's a sewing machine in there. And it's the same thing. It, like, the top flips this way and then the sewing machine flips up, but then it's level with all this whole surface area. But it's got an old, old machine in it. So I kind of want to take that, see if I can take the old machine out and store it. I don't want to get rid of it, but I want to put my machine in there so I could actually use this table because it's really cool because it doesn't take up much space. But then when you open it up, it gives you lots of space, right? So because yeah. as a sewer, you know you gotta have like lots of tables. Mm-hmm. So that's
1: really cool. Yeah, All right, it's so- like six and a half feet long, my table.
0: Wow. I, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I don't have six and a half feet in this little house to put anything. So, um but I, all right, so I'm already talking. I'm going to go ahead and do my what's up. Um, First of all, I think that my what's up should be that I should hire Bob to come over and pack things for me because <laughs> I hate it and I'm like avoiding it. So anyway, so that's my first what's up. My other what's uh, one thing I want to say is, oh, not only was my daughter here, but she left the dog behind. So can you guys see Aww. over here? That's uh that's, that's Toby who needs a haircut. So Hopefully no one will show up to the door. We won't have a barking dog in the background. But other than that, I took off some days this week. So I finished the book. I announced it. If you missed last week's episode, Maria, I know that you missed it. I finished book three in first draft form. woo So, So exciting. And so on Monday, Rhonda and I were in office hours. And I said, I just really have so much going on. I really feel like I should take some days off. And she's like, why don't you? Like, at what point are you allowed to take days off? And I'm like, yeah, like, like like my own boss, right? So I did, and my mental state is so much better, so much better because I got a bunch of stuff done, so I might take a few more days off next week. We'll see. Speaking of Rhonda, what's your what's up today, Rhonda? <laughs> um, hmm. <laughs> I, well,
3: I have been trying to get back into my good habits for the last couple of weeks, and um, yeah, so I'm just plodding along on that. That is my goal is just to make sure I get my habits reinforced because I feel much better about everything.
0: All right. Awesome. Are you, I know you're in a new place. Are you getting like your office set up and feeling like it's like a creative space for you? I can't wait to, yeah. come to see it by the way.
3: Uh, well, at first I was trying to get everything done and, um, you know, like a, a functioning house. On the very first day. Well, I decided right away that I wasn't going to do that to myself. So I am unpacking so slowly and it kind of drives me crazy, but I've got a nice, completely set up area that I can go relax in, and then after a while, go out and tackle some more boxes.
0: That's awesome.
3: But I'm trying to put that on a schedule too. I'm just trying to be very scheduled and it's, it really works for me.
0: It helps you when you have like a schedule and can take things off the list, right? Yeah. That's Awesome. All right. So we have some conversation going on. Robin says to her, what's up? It's been a week of admin doing Brian Cohen's AMS challenge. Oh. I
1: doing that.
0: Um, AMZ, isn't it? GL- AMS. It's an uh, Amazon. Ad. Yeah,
2: yeah. The ads have all changed since I ran one. I really need to look into oh. doing some of these challenges. Yikes. Right.
0: And the beauty and Beast anthology submissions page should be up this afternoon. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some well done's for me. Thank you guys. Um, yeah, I don't see a whole lot of, um, what's up. I think it's Except summertime. Maria,
2: someone found a spider in their yeah, house. I just that was see... sort of
1: alarming. <laughs> yeah, she did say the she... house is still smoldering, right? From when you burned it down. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we have a spider problem right now too, Maria. Spiders and earwigs. I don't know if earwigs are a a worldwide thing or just a Michigan thing or a a United States thing, but they are gross. If you don't know what they are, look them up. So this house here that we're working on, earwigs, bad. So I have an exterminator coming tomorrow morning.
2: Hallelujah. And
0: um, hopefully that'll take care of that problem. So, yeah, I'm not afraid of bugs. I'm not afraid of spiders, but those are gross. I don't want to deal with them.
1: I'm not afraid of them either, but we have the Orkin Man come out and spray once a month Mm -hmm. because we get spiders and ants so bad around here. Comes with this little wand. Oh, no. What happened to Rhonda? Rhonda.
0: That's so funny. I was just looking back at an old episode, and she was gone on vacation, but it was the first time, I think, and our prompt was uh, where in the world is Rhonda Hagerman? (laughs) Do you remember that when we wrote those prompts? Oh my gosh, ladies and gentlemen, if you've not seen that, should, what episode is it? I should remember that. Anyway, oh, yeah. you need to go back and, and at least fast forward to the, the sprints. So, All right, while Rhonda is trying to get back on with us, Jamie, why don't you tell us what your what's up is?
2: Well, um, I kind of am not sure which to tell you, so I'll tell you this. My children are all growing up so fast. It's mm. like my friend Kim told me. She has four children very close in age. She said, at some point, your family is going to be growing <clears throat> growing up a hill, like on a roller coaster. And then you're going to reach a point where that first cart tips. And then it's just going to go, Shh, and it's just going to seem super fast. And I feel like this is a phase of my life that is happening to me right now. And it's just, it's just been like, whoa, to adjust. Not everything, not bad, actually, in really good ways. For example, now that my daughter is driving and my husband isn't traveling, there are three people to put gas in the car. And that used to only be my job. Do you know what I mean? Like, I've had some real lifestyle upgrades happen to me. It's almost like all of that changing diapers and getting snacks together and stuff like that. It's paying off and now i'm starting to have three adults come up to help you know run the house and be a part of the family and it's really a blessing and a wonderful time but it's just unsettling at the same time because it's a new reality and we're all trying to adjust
1: <laughs> there's 10 years between my youngest child and my three older children and the three older children all moved out of the house on the same day
2: oh you're home your poor mama heart, yeah,
1: and I think it helped that I still had um Christopher was still small then, so you know, mm-hmm. kind of we snuggled because mm-hmm. he was really upset too because he was so close to his sister, mm-hmm. yeah, and that was uh, almost traumatic for him when she left. So, uh,
0: so I, I'm in the same boat, my kids are just growing up like weeds too, but um, and I but as you s- you saw the one walking out that's my 11 year old that is like about really super tall but basically before she left my stepson was here and he left too so like he's been we've had an added bonus like because of the lockdown because of covid um my son has not been able to get a job out of he just graduated from Olivet Nazarene University in a degree in youth Yay. ministry yeah. very very proud of him but there is a hiring freeze in our denomination. So, um, he's been here a lot and I know that he wants to be out. I know, like I remember that age and I know that he wants to be doing things. He wants to move on with his life and I get it, but it's so nice as a parent to like have this extra, I keep telling my husband it's bonus time. You don't get this when your kids generally, when your kids go off to college, they don't come back. And if they do, it's just for a little bit and then they move on. And it's just a great bonus time for us. So that's
1: why I love to go to the campground because my daughter lives on the campground, but she'll come over every night after work. And she's like at the camper going, want me to cook hamburgers, mom? Like, Aww. I'm like yeah,
0: you have a, a great to daughter to, do all too. to
1: work. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, blessed to know your daughter. She's great. We love her. I uh, yeah, I do love her. I'm biased, but I love her a lot. All right, Shell says, Her what's up? Still working through the hundred day writing challenge. And I helped my mom, who is also my boss, write her retirement letter. Oh, she got lots of good responses, but I'm very happy Oh, that's
2: another life transition time that's so tricky. What you know, what is her retired
0: life going to look like? Wow. Congrats to her. And there's all kinds of talk about spiders also. (laughs) Apparently, ladies, did you know that the spiders are not as big in the UK as they are here? I'm going to have to tell my stepson and my uh, children who are afraid of spiders that they need to move to the UK. Are they what? Incy-weensy. Incy-weensy spiders. I think that's what they are. I think so. Itsy-bitsy spiders. Teeny-weeny. Just for you guys who are not in the States, too. Spiders in Michigan are much smaller than they are where Jamie is. Oh like, yeah, it really is regional in the United States, which because we're a bigger country, like I debated statewide. having
2: engaging in the spider talk, but I didn't want to give anybody any nightmares, nor did I want to uh, in, incur wrath for people hearing how we deal with the spiders. On occasion, <laughs> 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 some in our household are not concerned at all about spider lives.
0: <laughs> oh, I, my philosophy. I always teach my kids. If they're inside, that's my house, and they are. They are i do not afraid of them, but they're not living. Like you came in, you broke in. You're this is her- my territory. This is my territory. If they're outside, I will let them go, unless they're really scary looking, and <laughs> then I'm like, nah, squish. Yeah, S- spider lives do not matter.
1: I'm pretty um, sure God in, in, um, created spiders so that men could be chivalrous and kill them for ladies. Oh, like that's my that's my theory.
0: Do you think you could like message that to my sons and my husband? because <laughs> they, they didn't get that message. All right. This week is going to be a fun episode, I believe. First of all, because I have a fairly bad headache. And we've learned already this morning before we went live that Gem with a headache is very similar with Gem with little sleep when we have our late night uh, podcast. So I've been a little giggly today. I'm going to try to Rein it in. But this week's topic is something we've talked about for a while doing and we're very excited about it. It is 12 things we wish we would have known as new writers. And it's one of those things that when we often come across new writers or people that um, have questions or they're just starting off, they have lots and lots of questions. And we've, we're like four or five, 10 years into this process. And so there's probably more questions than we have time to sit down and answer for you, right? So we decided that it was good for us to sit down and figure out those main things that wish, we wish we would have known before this even started, before we even got started with this whole process. Can um, I just
2: um, add something introductorily?
0: Yes, please. I would
2: say that even if you do not agree or, you know, disregard there is no judgment from us because I will tell you, we learned most of this stuff in spite of someone else saying it to us, we charged ahead and did X, Y, or Z that we're going to tell you not to do, and then we learned. So some of this you may not believe and you may forge ahead only to come out on the other side and say, well, I guess I had to do it to learn for myself. And that's totally fine too. We really don't care what course of action you follow We're just going to tell you what our experiences were.
0: That is such a great transition into me since we have (laughs) me first on the list. Because people told me over and over again this. And I was like, no. So my very first piece of advice that I wish I would have known and had listened to was that my first novel would be terrible. I heard it over and over again that you write your first novel and then you throw it away. And I thought, no, I'm putting too much work into this. I'm not throwing this away. And that's book three that I have struggled with for the past year to get it to where it was publishable because it was terribly written. It really was. So that's my first piece of advice. Do not put all of your eggs in the basket of the first book you write. Would you, girl, did you ladies, would you agree with that? Do you think you had that similar experience?
1: I would go I further. I threw my first manuscript away and totally rewrote it. You did, yeah. Even though I'm writing the same story, it's a completely, it's the same idea, but it's a completely different story is what I want to say.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I will go a step further with that. And I will say that you will likely think that everything you've written is terrible, but I can speak further to that as we get to my pieces of advice.
0: (laughs) All right. My second piece of advice is that um, it goes along with this. It was terribly written because my second piece of advice is that story structure matters. It would have been so great if I would have realized early on that I'm not a pantser. Like, I just don't, it's not who I am. I have to plot because when I pants things, it's like sitting down. The, the The book originally, book three, originally was as if you were to sit down and watch binge watch Little House in the Prairie for the rest of your life. And it never ends. Like it was episode after episode after episode. Every chapter was like a little mini episode. But there was no structure. There was no point to it. Um, it might have been like, oh, that was nice. But there was no point. Like where was this book ever going to end? Like it just kept going. I was at 120,000 words for this book. <laughs> now, mind you, searching for Anna is 80,000. 120,000 words and that was nowhere near an end. Um, so story structure matters. And for me, that means I have to learn to plot. And that's what I did. Anyone else have that experience? Mhm.
1: Yeah. I had like a meandering. I think I had 90,000 words. Mhm. Yeah, and me- then Tina, be-
2: you found the hero's journey and that helped you put a skeleton under the meat of all your words, right?
0: Right. Mhm. Mm-hmm. All right. And then my last piece of advice is that Crossing the finish line would be hard. People said that. I heard it, kind of heard it, but I thought, no, I'm doing so. Good. I'm writing. I'm writing. I'm writing. I can put words down on paper all day long. But crossing the finish line, actually having a finished work, was hard. It was very, very hard. And I didn't think about that. I thought that when I, I'm going to write this story. When I finally sit down, I'm going to be like you see in the movies, right? Do, 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 drink my coffee you do, 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 do and it wasn't that that was hard work getting across that finish line yeah well
2: that is very true and like I guess knowing that is because when you get in the murky middle you don't want people to give up right Jen because yeah. I mean the the tendency is to think well something's wrong something's wrong with my book something's wrong with me something's off bad wrong i should just give up but it's going to get hard and if you know it's going to get hard and you just push through you can make it to the other side
0: all right jamie said murky middle if you are a new writer and you don't know what that means we do have an episode on the murky middle if you go back to our youtube channel or um you can flip through all of our podcasts and you can see it in the title but we go through that very specifically
1: so and the murky middle is child's play compared to editing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, which we'll get
0: to, right? Uh, Maria says, I'm guessing by first novel, you mean first draft. I completely agree with that. Rather than the first novel that you publish is terrible, guessing you don't mean that. Well, yes and no, Maria. That's what I thought, too. When I kept hearing that from people, that, um, oh, I just th- my first novel was crap, I had to throw it away. And I heard it from many, many people. And I mean people that were published. I, I fought back against it. But for me, it was true. Like, if I hadn't built an entire series around this book, I would have probably thrown that away. Or I would have done maybe what um, Tina did, throw the whole thing away and start with the idea and write it again. Because I'm a far better writer now than I was. Now, does that mean that nobody can publish their first book? No, I I don't think that. But for me, I I needed to hear that. So when you're starting off, all I'm saying is... Don't hold so tightly to that first novel and that that's the, you think that that's the only book you're ever gonna write because chances are the more books you write, the better writer you're gonna be and you're not going to want to publish that book, or at least not as it is. So Okay, so those are my first my first three pieces of advice, Tina. What about you? You got some advice for us?
1: Um, well, as far as things that I wish I knew um, that I know now, um, I just remember that first writing group day when we decided to we were going to form a writing group when we all went to Rhonda's house. And I think there were seven of us there, wasn't mm-hmm. there? And I brought what I thought was like the best thing that I'd ever written in my life for you guys to critique. And I had never been critiqued before, honestly. I would had like family read it and go, oh, that's so good. <laughs> and so... <laughs> I'm sitting at the table waiting for the <laughs> <say> applause. <laughs> and Barb B says, This is all a passive voice. And I didn't even know what passive voice was. Like, I was just sitting there going, What? <laughs> what are you talking about? So I wish that I had known about passive voice and that you're not supposed to write in passive voice because it slows the story down. You want to write in active voice because it moves the story forward. Um, And I'm pretty sure that I thought in passive voice at that point in my life. (laughs) And it was quite a learning curve for me. But that's my number one thing.
0: I would like to say that that piece of writing that you brought was good. We did enjoy it. Mm -hmm. But just like everyone else, like just because you have something good doesn't mean there isn't room for improvement. You know, and so afterwards, once you remove the passive voice, it was even better.
2: Yes, and I'm sure we had sandwich techniques, Tina, and she is likely forgetting the positive comment that was given to her before the negative meat of the sandwich was slid in there just saying,
1: I'm I'm sure, yeah, we had a lot for of good sure there was something yes. positive, but I couldn't tell you what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember the passive voice because it was yes. so shocking to me.
2: Yeah,
1: because I didn't know. so that's that's my number one thing that I wish I would have known. And the, um, the second thing is that genre matters. Mm. Knowing what genre that you're going to write is important because I really didn't have a genre. And so here I have this finished, almost finished idea, outline, whatever. And I started thinking about um, my book cover. This is what brought it up to uh, making my own book cover. I took a course. Um, I forget what it's called, but I took this course that I paid for, um, from a guy that in, in did book covers on Photoshop for guys like Stephen King. And he walks you through how to do a book cover. And the first thing he talked about was what genre is your book and that you needed to design your cover according to your genre. And I had no idea what genre my book was. I'm like, okay, well, it's kind of dystopian. It's kind of fantasy. it's kind of a hero's journey and it's an adventure and uh, I don't know. (laughs) So um, that's my second piece of advice. Kind of make sure that you know what genre your book is before you start writing or before you get too far into it because it is important. And not only that, it's important for Amazon when you go to upload your book and tell them what genre you're in so that you can be listed and all that kind of stuff so it is important and even if you don't have like a certain like christian romance is a like really clear genre right so jennifer you're really real historical christian romance you're so clear on your genre mm-hmm. and that's great but if you know that you don't really fit into a genre i just think that it's important to know that too just I from out of the gate
0: I think it's a great piece of advice. Barbie okay. says, "I'm so sorry."
1: Oh no, I needed <laughs> I needed to know it. If Barbie hadn't told me, I'd be putting publishing a book with a lot of passive voice. <laughs> <laughs> no one would want to read it. Okay, um, so my third thing is that writing sixty to eighty thousand words or more is totally different than writing something short.
0: Because you write a lot of short stuff too, as well, correct?
1: Yeah. I had never written a novel length anything before. I, I, all my writing had been short kind of stuff. I did ghost writing, wrote articles and um, you know, I was one of those kids in creative writing that loved the assignments and would always get an A and the teacher would write wonderful things on my paper Um, but I never wrote anything more than like essay length, you know, short story length. So it is totally different to have to fill in all that. Okay. So my idea was I was going to have my character traveling through the Alaskan wilderness. And I realized pretty quickly that you cannot, um, 60,000 words of traveling through the Alaskan wilderness you either be, better be a superb writer with lots of experience, which I am not, or you better find something else to write about <laughs> uh, because you're just gonna bore everyone to death. There's only, only so many tur- ways that you can uh, describe the mountains and spruce trees and rivers. And-
0: <laughs> Sorry, so that brings up a question for me, for you, Tina, then. So you said you wish you would have known that it's a totally different thing. If you had known that, what, what would you have done differently? Or how would that have worked for you? Because this is good advice. So we want to know, like, how can somebody apply this to themselves?
1: Well, I think first off the bat, it would have changed the way that I outlined my story. Mm-hmm. Because I was, I'm more of a pantser than a plotter. But so I had an idea of where my character was going. Like where she was starting and where she would end up at the end of the story. But I didn't have any idea how she was getting there. Mm -hmm. And my idea of her traveling through the Alaskan wilderness, um, you know, Call of the Wild is my favorite book. And there's a lot of traveling through the wilderness in that book. But there's also a lot of other stuff going. I mean, it's just not just traveling through the wilderness. Um, When Jack Linden wrote that book, like each piece of the traveling comes with some kind of problem or disaster or something that moves the story forward. And I didn't have that. Mm
0: -hmm. So. All right. That's good advice. Robin says cover design for authors by Stuart Bache. I was going to say it too. I knew the name, um, but I was waiting for you to finish. I knew
1: it right before the podcast started. (laughs) (laughs) Always. Right. Yeah. Uh, I should have put it in the outline. It's
0: Maria says that working on the front cover design for her children's novel at the moment with public with her publishers, it's definitely important to speed spend the time getting it right because it's probably the first thing readers will see. For sure. I actually just put a book in my cart this morning when I was trying to wake up enough to get out of bed that someone had their in their stories said, Oh, someone just sent me this book. And it was somebody it's a Christian um, reviewer. So I knew that it was gonna be a Christian book. And the cover was just so intriguing to me that I am going to order the book. I don't know anything about it, but the cover. And as soon as I did it, I'm like, covers matter. I just reminded myself that, that covers really, really do matter. So, all right. And, of course, it goes back to genre as well. So, anything else, Tina?
1: No, those I, those are my three.
0: All right. Well, then I am dying to hear what Jamie has to say. in her unsolicited advice Again, if you guys don't know, don't get our newsletter, you need to sign up for it. Jamie's words are just always so fun to read in our newsletters every week.
2: Yeah, because typically I don't like to give people advice unless they ask for it. Because I kind of feel like, who do I think I am with my opinions? But I can just tell you what I think, and you can agree or not. And so I've been asked, so here you go. <laughs> All right. Some things traditional publisher gatekeepers do and say actually makes sense and should not be dismissed out of hand that's my number one piece of advice traditional publishers are in the business of selling books and what a lot of indie publishers don't understand is that they are now becoming a competitor to traditional publishers and what traditional publishers know is that readers expect a certain word count not just because a reader wants a book to be this thick and feel good in their hand, not just because the readers are counting the words they're not, but because when a book takes sixty to 80,000 words, that means there's enough meat and story and plot to sustain the interest of the reader. It shows a certain element of craft that is required to sustain a work for 60 to 80,000 words that Tina pointed out is much different than doing a short work of fiction. When my first novel was rejected by publishers, by agents, the feedback that I got was, well, it seems short. And at the time I was like, but the story is told. But as my writing has developed and improved, I've recognized that I've missed opportunity for exposition, I've missed opportunity for detail, I missed opportunity to make people fall in love with my characters in my haste to push publish and get the story out there. So the reason 60 to 80,000 words is what traditional publishers expect for a particular genre is because that's typically the ballpark of what it takes to do it right. Not mm. saying you can't come up with a 70,000 word whatever that will sell like hotcakes. I'm just saying don't throw away traditional publisher feedback, advice, recommendations just because you have some indie, um, indie or die, you know, ride or die to the indie flag or something going on in your head because they're in the business of selling books and you'd be throwing the baby out with the bathwater not to horribly mix metaphors or whatever.
0: That's real. No, that is some really good advice, and I would like to piggyback it on to what Tina was saying as well about book covers. Like, go to look at the traditional book covers of the traditionally published authors in your genre, too, because they have lots of people behind that, people that do studies, and, and you, you want to, you, you can break the rules. You don't have to be just like them, but you don't want to be so far off from what the traditional publishers are doing that you just don't look like something that someone wants to read. You don't look legitimate. Exactly. That. that would yeah. be
2: like arguing that you should ignore all tropes. That would be like arguing that you should ignore all plot structure. It's foolish. And so I love that someone in the chat is like, what do you even mean by traditional publishing gatekeeper? That's awesome mm-hmm. that someone wouldn't know. And I'll tell you what I mean. When I was a kid reading whoever I was reading, I knew that this person had to find an agent and an in at the publishing house before they could get that book in front of my eyeballs unless they did vanity press so used to be you could only publish through the big publishing houses and so what they call the people who read through the slush pile they call those gatekeepers your book does not ever get published if it doesn't make it past a gatekeeper in the traditional publishing world that's why the indie thing took off the way that it did is because they were recognizing that so many good books never got in the front of the eyes of the readers. So that's what I mean by traditional publishing gatekeepers, if that helps.
0: Right. And things are so different now with indie publishing, small publishing houses like there. It's a there are a lot more avenues to get sure. to publishing mm-hmm. than there used to be. But it's still gatekeepers still exist. Yeah. So. All right, what's your next so piece of advice i
2: forgot that i was still supposed to talk i feel like that was a lot of talking um okay <laughs> number two consider saving your best for last if you have you know you think your life story is going to make an amazing book even if you're going to disguise it as a piece of fiction consider creating that as your opus if i'm using that word correctly that will be your masterpiece the novel that you've released after you've put out all of your work that you're eventually going to hate because you're going to become a better writer as you continue to write and you continue to publish you will look back on your old work and consider it beneath you and juvenile you'll learn about passive voice and you'll read something you wrote before and you'll say holy cow it's filled with passive voice how could i publish such a thing (laughs) whatever okay So the ideal is save your masterpiece for when you can write it well enough to do it justice. That's all I want to say about that because also this puts you in the mindset that you're writing more than one book from the beginning because if you really want to do that story, the credit that it deserves, you'll want to write a few things before you write that big book because you'll want it to be the best writing it can be and you're going to grow as a writer. So that's my second piece of advice. My third, my third piece of advice is, where's my Line? Learn to recognize good writing and save yourself some money because editing is expensive. At even a half a cent a word, you're looking at an investment in the thousands of dollars if you're talking about a 60,000 plus whatever. Maybe my math is wrong, but it's hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to get the one edit, one. And if your first edit is fixing something like apostrophes or passive voice or, or stuff you could have fixed just by being a better self-editor because you've been reading enough good writing that you're kind of evolving and, and recognizing when your writing isn't really what it could be, you're going to save yourself a whole lot of money on the editing end of things because you won't have to do so many passes. To get it to where you're not getting feedback that you're missing.
0: And that's I it. absolutely agree, for sure. All right, thanks, Jamie. You're welcome. All right, Rhonda. Last but never least, what are your three pieces of advice?
3: <clears throat> all right, are you ready?
0: We're ready.
1: I'm ready.
3: My first piece of advice is when I first started, when I decided I was going to do self publishing, it was right when all of the write a book in 30 days, uh, really was, I think, at the pinnacle. I think maybe it's slowing down some from what it was. But um, when you're first writing, I do not think it's physically possible to write a book in 30 days and have it ready for readers um, to be put in their hands. So I wish that I could have, because I kept feeling like a failure, because why? Mm. If everybody else can do this, why can't I do it? Mm. And so you really need to manage your expectations. If you want to write say 10 books in one year, which was my grand plan. And, um, so anyway, that's been revised and, um, yeah, but a lot of good things did come out of that. So I'm glad that I had that illusion in the beginning, um, instead of thinking from the beginning that it could never be done. Well, then I think think
2: the more of a discouragement, Yes, and I think that the broader point of what you're saying is like don't compare your journey to another person's, right? Yes. I mean, because frankly, I'm not a 10 books a year person either, in spite of the fact that I feel like I should be or could be or, you know, if I just sat in the chair and wrote 3000 words, I just right. don't really want that, but like I feel like I should because then I would make financial goals, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like this comparison thing that gets you all paralyzed, I feel. Mhm.
0: Yep, And though there might be writers out there that can do it in 30 days, but they've probably been writing yeah. for a long time, you know? Right. And so, yeah, I absolutely, I'm in the same boat as you. I feel the same way, Rhonda, like this, mm-hmm. that I thought I could do so much more than I can a year. And maybe someday I can, but right. I don't have to put but that the stress first on one. me. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. All right. So this one really should have been my first one because it's really sort of my life motto. Uh, my mom taught me this back when she was a full-time potter. Uh, anyway, it is learn the rules so you know how to break them. That has been such a useful piece of advice always, um, whether it came to my glass making or writing. You have to know why the rules are in place. And then once you don't really have to master those, but just have a good understanding of why the rules are there. And then you can understand when you can break them or be, excuse me, bend them or when you should leave them alone.
2: Exactly. And I think that that's hand in hand with the traditional publishing sort of standards or or guidelines or tropes or Mm -hmm. story structures or passive voice. All of the things we're saying, learn Mm -hmm. the rules, right, Rhonda? And then you know as an artist when you can take a liberty without breaking the pot, so to speak, right?
3: Right, and really that's when you start to show your own self as an artist you're not just, um, you know, you've got a group of potters, but then you have an artist who has their own style. They're the ones who knew, who figured out which rules to break and how far to break them. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, I think rule that, breaking is what gives you your own, um, flavor flavor. Yes. Thank you.
1: If that goes for when you're writing your books too. And let's say your, your main characters are detective. Um, You have to know the rules of being a detective before you can break them. And one of the biggest examples is we watch all these police shows where the coroner comes to see the body and gives the police guy an idea of the time of death. And that never happens in real life. They don't do that. But Um, everyone thinks
0: that they do because they see it. it But it makes the
1: story work better. Mm -hmm. And so many, many people writing those stories break that rule so they can move their story forward.
3: Good. Yep. Okay, my last and final and most profound piece of advice (laughs) for all of
1: you is
3: how important a writing group has been. Okay, so you all may not know this about me, but I am more of a quiet person.
2: No. And
3: I am quite comfortable being a loner, and um, I don't need a lot of people around me all the time. But starting this writing group, was the best thing that could have happened in my life because I would have stopped so many times and moved on to something else when everything was falling apart if it hadn't been for these ladies and the ones that you can't see that aren't on the podcast right now. They're equally as important.
2: Yes, we are yeah. really seven strong and we love yep. our three other members. They just are not podcasty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. So that is my number one. And if you come away with nothing else, Even if you're just part of our little writing group in our chat room, it still counts.
0: You know, Rhonda, I didn't know that that was going to be one of yours. I didn't look at your part of the outline, but this morning, getting ready, I I, I had the thought, like, gosh, if Rhonda had never reached out to me, if Rhonda had never started this writing group, where in the world would we be right now? I don't think I'd be published, and so I really appreciate you doing that. Yes, and she
2: hosted our first meeting, didn't she? She opened her table to us. It was really wonderful. Where Tina was gutted. Um, It was Rhonda's (laughs) dining (laughs) room table, yes. It was (laughs) a scary (laughs) long table.
0: It was a scary day for me, too. We have a podcast about that as well. Go way back. We have one about writing groups. You need to go back and watch that. Yes. Yep. (laughs) All right. So This has been fun, but we are not quite finished because... We have bonus material for bonus you. Bonus
2: time, bonus
0: time. The, the 12 things that we wish we would have known when we were new writers, plus four bonus. What Number, do you know? What do you know? Because we love you that much. So oh my my, my <laughs> bonus is that you need to know as a new writer that doubt will be there for every book. And I did not know this. I. In the process of writing my first book, I doubted me. I'm I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to be able to do this. And then I finished, I crossed the finish line. And then I actually crossed the line of publishing. And I was like, and this huge weight was off me. And then I wrote the second, started writing the second book. And that doubt was back. This book isn't as good. I'm not going to be able to finish this. I'm never going to get to cross the finish line. And you just need to understand that it's Satan. And it's there for every single book. And just just trust in the process, trust in God, and you'll be there. Uh, Tina, what's yours? Your bonus. Um,
1: learn the difference b- between arc readers and beta readers before you mm-hmm. send your book out to beta arc readers. Um, and this is just this is just kind of an example of what my bonus material is because you need to understand the process um, and really sit down and make sure you understand this process. self-publishing before you jump in and get all excited and think you're done and you're going to publish next month. And I'm just saying that for a friend.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not for personal experience or anything.
1: (laughs) No, never.
0: All right, Jamie, what's your extra bonus? Um,
2: I got a hot take and I feel like this is not going to be widely accepted advice, but I feel like it works for some people. Some people like me really need to publish as soon as possible so that they can have that in the win column and they can move on. Because I have a voice of lies that tells me I don't finish what I start. Mm -hmm. So that I couldn't say that about my commitment to publish a book. I published one now. Everybody will come to a writer who would say something like that. And they would say, oh, you're going to ruin your writerly reputation with a bad book. Oh, whatever. But I, my, I, I was reading some people who are very prolific and fast writers. And they were like, what reputation do you have that you are ruining? Mm-hmm. Can you not pull a book down if you're not happy with it later? Are you really married to this work that you put out there? Can you not publish later under a pen name X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. I'm just saying, if you're someone who feels like that is what you need to do, then do it. Make a homemade cover. Do the most horrible whatever job and just get it done. Because as everybody said, you're going to hate it anyway. You're going to become a better writer. The way I see it, these are training wheels books for me. As I continue to publish, I I don't go back and read what I published because I know I'm not going to like it. I know I'm gonna find a typo. I know I'm gonna find a sentence that's not artful. I know I'm gonna find, I wish I would have said it a different way, but I've published. I know more about publishing than I knew before. I know what I wouldn't wanna do. The negative feedback that I've gotten has taught me a lot more about what I won't do again. If you can't get beta readers, try charging people money. And then let them tell you what a bad job you did. It sounds scary, but how else are you going to improve? So put it out there and be ready to take it and use the negative feedback to improve the next one because your critics are going to grow you. Run back to your writing group if you need someone to cheerlead you and get you to write the next one. But don't be afraid to put it out there and take your licks and let it make you a better writer. That's my hot take final piece of advice. (laughs)
0: Sage says in traditional publishing, yes, you need to worry about your reputation in indie publishing. You have infinite chances. Yes. Agree. Absolutely agree with that. Plus, I think that there are people out there listening. I know that there are that are just caught in that cycle of editing because it's just not perfect yet. It's just not perfect yet. It's just not perfect yet. You know what? At some point just forget about the missing commas. At some point you just got to publish right and get it done and move on to the next book.
2: Yeah. And then take the negative feedback in stride. And you know what you can say to people who have negative things to say to you? Well, you know what, in your novel, things can go that way. I can't wait to read it (laughs) once it's published. Do you know what I'm saying? Because what you're doing is no small thing and you have the right to be proud of what you publish, even if it isn't somebody else's standard of perfection. So I'm a big fan of throwing one out there if that's what it takes to make you feel like you're not a loser because that's what I needed.
0: Good advice. All right, Rhonda, what's your final bonus material?
3: Okay. As I previously stated, I am a private person and quiet. Not very, you know, I'm not a... Okay. Ironically, I played cornet in high school, but I do not blow my own horn very often. (laughs) So... <clears throat> um, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. It just came to me. It just came to me. Okay, so um, I did not realize how much of my own horn blowing I was going to have to do uh, when it comes to social media and marketing and all that. I'm not a salesperson. Boy, if my dad was a um, a writer, he would be selling more books than Stephen King because he is such a great salesman. I did not get that, and so anyway, that is something that I. Um, probably would have uh, spent more time in the beginning knowing I had to do instead of waiting until now to do it.
2: To kind of work yourself up to the idea that it has to be happening, right?
3: Yeah. And just to, to train, train your, your dad.
2: Time. You should train your dad to do social media and then he can sell your books for you.
3: Well, he does sell a lot of pizza.
0: There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you got to watch some of our old podcasts. <laughs> um. I want to point out, though, Rhonda, you're not tooting your own horn. You are blowing the horn of your book. And I think if as yeah. authors, if we can remember that, it's not, look at me, look at me, look at me. It is, look at this book God gave me. Look at this book. Look at this book. You put a lot of work into that. And and so um, yep. and I'm, st- I'm better about that now. But good. in the beginning, I was like, no. Yeah, understandable. Maria says, also with indie publishing, I get the impression that if you spot typos, et cetera, you can take it down, fix it, and upload it again. Whereas it's a lot trickier to fix errors in a traditional book. Yes, you can take it down, fix the errors, and put it back up, and it doesn't remove your book. Like your book stays up there, and it just when if when it just replaces it when it finally does that. Um, like even if you get chapters out of order, just saying I,
2: yes. And can go I go back say and watch it, failure
0: failure to launch that episode? Absolutely.
2: And I just want to say uh, yes, I 100 percent agree because this is going to sound like I don't agree because what I'm going to say is. But don't change your book because somebody said so just because somebody said so. On the other hand, if you're getting a review that plot twist X doesn't seem realistic, that doesn't mean you need to pull it down and rework your plot twist. That just means in your next book, you might want to pay. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like don't become a slave to other people's opinion of your art.
0: Agreed. Maria says that last point really resonates with me, Rhonda. I think it resonates with With a lot of writers Mm -hmm. That's why we want you guys to understand we know your pain. Join us in this journey. We can do this, not just the writing, but the social media and the and the artwork and the editing. We can do this together. So all right, ladies, that was an awesome episode. I really appreciate it. But we have to move on because the next part of our episode is our feeding of the backs, which we all look so much forward to. What is the feeding of the backs? It is when we share feedback on our unedited pieces, every episode, every week before the episode starts, we tweet out, we Instagram, we Facebook our writing prompt. And it's the same thing that we do. Like we get that writing prompt usually at the last minute as well. And we set a timer for 15 minutes and we write. And then on the podcast, we share our fresh, raw, unedited pieces. So because they are fresh, raw, and unedited, we only give positive feedback and encouraging feedback because we haven't had time to polish it up. So this week, I am going to call on Rhonda Ah. to please to share with us the prompt and to go ahead and kick us off with her writing.
3: All right. Uh, (laughs) The prompt was uh, first day on the job or something like that. Yeah.
0: First day on the the job. All right. Oh, here you go. Here's None of us work.
2: are enthusiastic about this prompt. We <laughs> collaboratively know. came up with this prompt on like Tuesday and we're all just like, what was wrong with us? But anyway, <laughs> we wrote it anyway, guys, so.
3: Yeah. Okay. 923, how is that possible? Panic shoots all the way through me and lands in my spine. What day is it? Rifling through the rusty file cabinet in my brain, I calculate the answer with the swiftness of a turtle running through peanut butter. No. <laughs> <laughs> fresh out of adrenaline propels me out of bed. It is, in fact, Monday, January 1st, the first day on my new job. I overslept on the most important day of my life. How is that possible? I took every precaution. Slowly, as if in a dream, the culprit comes into focus. The sales girl seemed so sure of herself. She said this alarm clock could do everything I needed except scramble my eggs in the morning. It had every bell and whistle <laughs> imaginable. I grabbed it up as if it was a cure to all of my life's miseries. The end. Spoiler, the alarm didn't Rhonda. go. Rhonda! Yeah.
2: <laughs> Rhonda, these books in this voice are just gonna fly off the virtual shelves like hot cakes. I mean, what lovable, ditzy girls you write, or women, or whoever they are. Maybe they're guys, I don't know, but this was hilarious. This person, like being late for the job and completely relatable. A turtle running through peanut butter rusty file cabinet of your mind. It's a rusty file cabinet, mind you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very, very good description. Well,
3: thank you. May or may not have been based in real life.
0: (laughs) Well, it resonated with me. I I literally felt a little bit anxious just then. Like, oh, no. 930. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Tina. How about you? You want to share with us your writing? You're muted though, so we can't read lips. I mean, I can, but...
1: Oh, like, about
0: How about we do that? You read it with you muted and I will just interpret oh, whatever I think yeah. you're
1: saying. Like yeah, a let's idea. not do that. <laughs> Talking while I'm muted is the story of my life, by the way. <laughs> For the listeners who don't know that. Okay, here we go. The apron Michelle was wearing felt a bit crooked. She tried to tug at one side to straighten it, but it wasn't budging. She sighed and hurried to catch up to Emily, the girl who was training her. She still wasn't used to the clogs but Emily walked as if she'd been born with them on her feet. The urge to remove the blasted things and run across the ornately carpeted floors was a strong one. Michelle resisted, knowing that as an employee of the most famous Bavarian restaurant in the country, she could not shame them in that way,
0: even if it was her
1: first day and her toes already felt like somebody had been pounding on them with a hammer. Mercifully, Emily turned and, seeing that Michelle had fallen behind, stopped to wait for her. Her apron was perfectly positioned over her tan checkered dress with white lace at the sleeves. The bonnet she wore at the back of her head seemed to float there of its own accord, while Michelle could already feel her slipping as her hair threatened to slip from its pins. <laughs> You'll get used to them, Emily said, nodding at Michelle's feet. Then she turned and led Michelle down a flight of stairs and into a busy kitchen, filled with the sounds of shouting voices, clanging pans, and the jingle of silverware. Here's your sink, Emily said. You wash in this section, dip in the bleach water here, and then rinse with the fresh water in the third. Then Emily was gone, leaving Michelle to stare after her with an, amuse, with an unanswered question on her lips. Why did she have to dress in costume to wash dishes? Then she realized everyone in the kitchen was dressed in costume. You better get moving, a voice said, depositing a pile of saucepans on the counter next to the sink. If you get behind, you'll never catch up. Michelle turned to the sink. Reaching to don the rubber gloves, just as her bonnet fell into the soapy water. Three, two, one.
0: Oh, that Frankenmuth! Number one. It's the one, one thing I wanted. I knew you were going to do Frankenmuth just from the. Even though like clogs aren't a German thing, like I just knew that's the direction
1: you were going in. So I'm not the, even sure they wear clogs at Zender's, but it, <laughs> but it was well, funny. It, no, fit like, the story. Yeah, no, yeah. In
3: your description of Frankenmuth, I knew where you were before you even said, "Just the carpet." And you, the description of the waitresses and the car, it yep. just great. I knew exactly where you were.
0: For those listening, Frankenmuth is a town north of here. It's a very uh, touristy town that is like, it's a, they call it the Little Bavaria. It's a little Germany, German town. Um, and it's like, they've got restaurants and it's, it's very like people go there just to like for touristy kind of oh. things. And so.
2: My um, One Quiet Afternoon short story is set in a town yes.
0: very similar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so lots of compliments. Um, for both you and Rhonda, but I just want to point out one thing that Sage said, because we're running short on time. Talking While Muted, a memoir by Christina Katane. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I might have to consider the changing the title of my memoir from Waiting for Amber, which is my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so talking While Muted. I don't know. I'll have to think about that.
0: All right. I'm going to go next. So it's not so talky um, talky. Sounds good. Okay. And I cheated. I took a couple extra minutes, but. Okay, and it's not finished, so it really wasn't worth the extra couple minutes, but here we go. Welcome to Burger Mart. Can I get what can I get for you? It's that simple. Sean's new manager smiled a very confident smile, as if he had trained new workers in this manner his entire life. The man looked to be about 45 and was the manager of the small town Burger Mart. Sean noted that he probably indeed had done this his entire life, or at least his entire adult life. If Sean played his cards right and worked hard, he too could lay in a managerial position and be stuck in this dead-end job until his dying day, Sean shuddered. Yeah, I think I got it, Sean said, doing little to disguise the snarkiness of his reply. This wasn't a real job, Sean mused. Any monkey could do it. Don't get too confident, Rob, the manager warned, as if reading Sean's thoughts. This isn't as easy as it looks. Sean feigned innocence. Oh, I didn't mean to imply anything. I'm just telling you I'm ready. Rob eyed him suspiciously. Then the corner of his mouth ticked, and he shrugged his shoulders. Guess there's only one way to find out—the drive-through. Rob led Sean through the kitchen and a labyrinth of stacked boxes to the back corner of the restaurant, where the first drive-through window was located. Hey, Sarah, why don't you give a—why don't you take a break and give job, Rob ugh, give Sean here a chance to try his hand at the drive-through? Thank goodness, Sarah said as she whipped off her headphones. I'm about to lose it on the next person who asks if the new spicy chicken sandwich is too spicy. How the heck am I <laughs> supposed to know? I don't eat the food here. Rob's usually jovial face frowned momentarily as Sarah skidded between him and Sean, but the smile remained, returned quickly. Here you go. He handed Sean the headphones. This register is exactly like the one up front, except for the screens that keep the orders separate. Also, this is the button to hit if you need help. Just press it and talk into the headsets. Just remember, everyone wearing headsets will hear you, not just me. Oh, yeah. No. yeah, 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 Sean's mind said. Sean was pretty certain he even heard his mind roll its eyes. <laughs> okay, Rob said, don't forget. Welcome to Burger Mart. What can I get for you? Seconds after Rob walked away, a buzzer sounded. A car was in the drive-thru. Sean began to sweat. What was he supposed to say? Why was it so hot back here? <laughs> hey, what do you want? Sean heard his own squeak voice. <laughs> Those weren't the right words. Three, two, one. <laughs> I had so much more I wanted to put in there, but I was being too, like, uh, descriptive with the setup. I was so. sure
2: he was going to say something about the girl being cute or something on the,
0: on the little uh, headset. No. Like, I just, I just an image of this kid thinking he's so much better than the manager. And I want the manager just to be, like, a good guy. Like, yeah. Who cares that he's worked here his whole life? Who are you? And like, why is this not a legitimate job? You know, like I have all these things in my head, but all I got was, "Hey, what do you want?"
2: <laughs> I love it, and I love that his voice kind of cracks on him, and he's yeah. humbled in front of the whole store. Yep. Yeah.
0: <laughs> all right, thank you very much. All right, Jamie. Oh, I it, guess we got to hurry. We're,
2: we got to scoot. Okay. Before you um, get
0: started, Gigi says, Jamie, One Quiet Afternoon, awesome book. Agreed. Thank you. That's
2: very sweet. Yep. Appreciate it. All right, here we go. <clears throat> I turned off the ignition inside when I noticed the moist fingerprint left on the push-button starter, and my other sweat-slicked hand slid down the vinyl of the steering wheel as though it had been buttered. Irritated with myself, I pressed the meat of my palms into the linen cotton blend skirt I wore and glanced up at the building, squatting before me like some sort of ancient oracle. Here it was, the answer to all my financial woes, and I was almost paralyzed with anxiety. Why did I feel no excitement about the potential for forging new friendships? Why had I no thankfulness for the Lord's provision? Someone rapped on the passenger side window and my head turned before I thought to be alarmed. A chubby face and a ruddy waving hand appeared. It's me, Phil Bronson, the man said, and I gave him a weak smile. Phil was the husband of Trina Bronson, who'd brought several meals for my freezer. It was long hours talking with her over tea that had gotten me through the worst of those first horrible days, alone in the house without Beau. And it was this man, this kind, cherubic man, who had gotten me the interview for this position. Let me walk you up, introduce you around, he shouted through the window. It was a kindness, no doubt, but in that moment, I resented Phil Bronson more than I had ever resented a person in my life. How dare he make me move on with things, pretend that this new normal, this life where I am a widowed working mother of three was an acceptable one, one worth living. But how could I say this, any of this to Phil or to Trina or to anyone at all? Had the Lord not provided through us, through, for us through Bo's insurance? Had the Lord not sent provision by way of good friends, good community? And now this good, this very, very good job? These thoughts consume me as Phil took me on his rounds. As I gave a blank smile and a firm handshake to each barely distinguishable figure, I mulled over my own wretchedness. Finally, I was deposited behind a desk in a tidy workspace to stare at a flickering cursor until my trainer arrived to further direct me. I'm just so lost, I thought.
3: Jamie, wow, that was really great. Yeah. Well, thank
2: you. I didn't mean to bring the mood down.
3: (laughs) well, you did. Is this your nano from last
2: year? This is nobody. I don't even
1: okay. know who this is. Yeah, I mean, to it think really about picked lo- up on the like just the feeling of despair, but yes. life has to go on, kind of thing that happens mm-hmm. during those kind of times.
0: Yeah, it's one thing to lose your husband and have to move forward without him, but then to think about these kind of practical things, like most widows, even with insurance, would pro- would have to go back into the workforce you know, if you weren't already working and like how devastating that would be and scary. And you did in just that 15 minutes were able to like bring that all together. So just really good.
2: I appreciate that. And I just, I want to say thank you uh, to Stephanie and shout out to her new chatter. Hi, Stephanie. She's a friend of mine. And thank you, Gigi, for also your, your kind words. Appreciate the feedback. Yeah. I'm glad that that touched you guys.
0: So, so good. All right, we are running a little bit behind, but it's because we had some tech issues early on and because we just had a really great episode. So <laughs> before we leave, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> truth is truth. So before we leave, though, we do want to make sure and touch base with our what's next. And then what's we at the beginning of the, every episode, we do a what's up and then the, what's next is um making ourselves publicly accountable for our professional goal that we've set or promoting our upcoming event or whatever is coming up this next week. So I'm going to go backwards. And we're going to start with you today, Jamie. What oh, is good. your book next?
2: Okay. So I just want to quickly report to you all that like I am going to commit to some parts of Jennifer's book launch strategy for my book. But I do, yes, I know. But like I can't give you too many details of what or how because that's about as far as I know I'm going to go. Because also, I'm not sure how long this is going to take me to finish. My progress is so slow. We might have to bump the timeline, which is fine. Because I know Jen will be releasing around the fall anyway. But the point is, I'm going to be doing some of it. I'll have a better report for you next week,
0: which is perfect. Because there's not a lot of time anyway. So someone else. That's great. Um, My what's next is easy. I think I'm taking a few days off next week. Um, Except that I'm going to spend some time working on some graphics and preparing for um, our 100th episode. Yeah, Which, this is episode something special. Something special is <laughs> coming coming. That's all we're gonna say. Um, and but yes, hundredth episode is coming up. Something special coming up from us. That's all I'm gonna work on this week. Rhonda, right. how about you?
3: Uh This week, I'm just gonna keep doing more of the same of last week. Except I'm gonna have a house guest this week coming up, and um, uh,
0: I'll whip her into shape too.
1: All right.
0: All right, Tina.
1: I'm just um, plugging along on my editing and the um, office desk for our office that we're setting up literally got delivered in the middle of the podcast, which is why I was muted and then started (laughs) talking while I was muted because there was like grunting and things (laughs) going on while they were moving the desk in the house. But yeah, that's it for me.
0: All right. Well, interruptions such as a new office desk are completely acceptable for this completely podcast. Acceptable. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Before we go, Sage says her what's next is she's got a new strip plug, so she can finally sort out the tangle of cables under her desk. Oh, Honestly, man. that's a big accomplishment. It is. It the is. Cables, really can now make we're break out of control
2: on my desk. Yes, I, now, fully, yeah, I feel right. that. Uh,
0: Maria says her what's next is that she's carrying on with her July Camp Nano project. Good for you, Maria. Like,
2: I kind of forgot Camp Nano was even happening.
0: (laughs) Me too. Thanks for reminding us, Maria, because I just let it kind of go away. So anyone else doing Nano? Hope so. Let us know how you're doing. And um, also, let us know how your sprint went today. Please. Excuse me. Please tweet us today <laughs> or anytime this weekend, and share with us your sprint. We would love to be able to share that back with everybody else, and yeah. um, it will get you in good practice for what is possibly coming up for our hundredth episode. Just saying. Well,
2: Hope right. everybody to hear
0: about it. I yep. can't wait. All right. So this concludes the Christianity Writers Podcast. So until next week, may your pen be prolific, may your deadlines be met, and may all of your words honor Christ. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.